Welcome to Women of the Wild, where education and opportunities are key. And friendships are made to last a lifetime. Did you get him? <laughs> you think we got him? You think we got him? <laughs> got him. <laughs> All right, Skylar, what do we got here? to season two women of the wild podcast we would like to first start off by thanking our title sponsors for the 2024 year atlantic coral enterprise one of the largest import dealers in the world with excellent quality for hides skulls shells and amazing gifts for friends and family or even your household you can find them at atlanticcoralenterprise.com rm custom calls multiple world championships from main street to live duck American-made, veteran-owned, when you want to win on the stage or in the blind, we have you covered. Small shop, big sound. You can find them at rmcustomcall.com or on Instagram. We also have Rhino Land Safaris, providing exceptional quality with unmatched hospitality and cuisine, offering African safaris, a destination hunt for the avid rifle or bow hunter with some of the best trophy management South Africa has to offer. You can find them at rhinoland.co.za or on Facebook, Instagram. Hey everyone, Andy Lehman here from ACC Crappie Sticks. Just want to let you know about our crappie baits and jig heads. We have a wide selection of the hottest colors and big eye crappie jig heads in the most popular colors and sizes. Check them all out at acccrappiesticks.com. Thank you. And now for today's episode, we hope you enjoy. Hi, welcome to season two Women of the Wild podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Marie. I am here today with Lexi Vaughn with the Fish Studio in Michigan. Hi, Lexi, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I am super excited to chat with you and, and share what you're doing because I think that you're this person that is portraying what a woman has the capability of doing in the outdoors and we don't really see it a lot very often. So I'm really excited to dive into conversation. But first, before we get into that, I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and um, how you kind of, because you have this passion for the outdoors as well, along with the taxidermy. So I'd love for to hear how you got into the outdoors just in general and a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So as you said, my name is Lexi Vaughn. Um, I'm 24. I'm from Marine City, Michigan. Um, you know, I grew up with family and friends that were very involved with the outdoors. We did, we did a lot of camping, uh, you know, traveling, spent a lot of time out on the water, in the woods, running trap lines with my dad, shooting sporting clays on the weekend, things like that. Um, you know, growing up was really interesting for me because as much as any little girl likes to play with dolls and do things like that, um, you know, I remember doing a fair share of, you know, like my dad shot a deer, 
I would be out in the garage hanging out with him or skinning muskrats and raccoons when we got done from checking trap lines and things and things like that, you know? So I had a really great and diversified upbringing. I love that. So you like, you are into all of it though. Cause I, I follow your page and you're out there sturgeon fishing, you're duck hunting, you're just, you're all over your bow fishing, which is one of my yeah. big loves and passions. So super awesome that you're like that diverse, that jack of all trades, right? Yeah. I mean, there's really, I mean, I, there's really nothing that I don't like as long as it's outside and it's active and it has anything to do with the outdoors. Like I'm usually game for it. You know, I just, I really love fishing. I love hunting. I love, I just love being outdoors in general. It's, it's a cure for the soul, right? Like you are in this position where you get to go do something. You have to build this skill set. So you're challenging yourself, but you're getting to enjoy the outdoors. Like there's nothing to me, there's nothing better than that. When you pick up a hobby in the outdoors, because there's all this challenge to yourself. There's all this skill that you have to build. And it's just this mental stimulation of keeping yourself going and growing. And then just the peace that you feel when you're in the outdoors, especially if you're doing a hunt by yourself, but there's the camaraderie of hunting with other people. So it, it can be such a diverse world out there. No, absolutely. I, uh, I mean, there's, there's so many times even, and you know, you could ask anybody that's into the outdoors, you could ask them, you know, like no matter what you have going on in your life, whatever troubles you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, like as soon as you step into the woods or as you, soon as you step out into the field or onto the water, you know, like your whole mindset just really changes. You know, you're focused, you're doing what you love. You're thanking God for his creation and just having the ability to do this. And, you know, you end up leaving afterwards with a whole new mindset, you know, like no matter what you were dealing with before, you know, almost like there's nothing that you can't handle. Like being out in the woods or being outdoors in general is just really refreshing for me. And it kind of takes a lot of load off my shoulder in a way. Um, and I think that's good for anybody. And I think anybody that's into the outdoors can, you know, attest for that. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't matter if it's hunting, if it's fishing, if it's photography, there's, it's a hard reset and it's a fantastic reset and a healthy reset too. It's not like you're out doing something you shouldn't be doing, or there's a lot of like regulations to follow and keeping up on all of that can be a challenge. So it's just, to me, that's always been the best part of the outdoors is you are constantly learning and growing. And to me, you're always advancing no matter how well versed you are in something, you're still learning. Like you can be a master bass angler and you're still going to learn something every single time you go out, whether it's about the elements, whether it's about your gear, whether it's about the fish or the habitat, like there's always something to learn. Um, avid turkey hunters, like every time you go out, you're learning something new, whether it's about the game you're pursuing or something else. So it's, you're right. It is, it is a place for a reconnection with your soul and absolutely fantastic so is that for our listeners you are actually the owner to the fish studio here in Michigan which is specializing in fish taxidermy yep 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 um I I started that a couple years ago um but yeah that's that's basically my whole thing now it's the only job that I have it's the absolute love of my life I love what I do it's so fun <laughs> So how did that come about just through the passion for the outdoors? Like, can you tell me where that all came from that inspiration to get that going? Yeah. So 
I've been doing taxidermy now for about seven years. Um, you know, I've always, I've always been drawn to art itself, you know, whether that be drawing, painting, sculpting, anything art related. I really, really loved it. Um, and it was around the time of my senior year of high school when my dad actually started getting into woodworking and he, he carves decoys for pike spearing. So that's his, that's his hobby. Um, and it was around that time I just happened to come across some paint catalogs, taxidermy catalogs that he had laying around. Um, and I started to look through them. And honestly, I was just amazed by it all, like taking it in, flipping through the pages. Um, you know, I had so many questions. I had such an interest in it from the moment I saw it, you know what I mean? Like, um, and so I, I like I had an idea of what taxidermy was just because, you know, my dad had mounts in the house, you know, a fair share of his shoulder mounts and birds and things like that. Um, but like I said, I just I just had so many questions. I, I remember begging my dad actually to take me. His buddy had owned a shop locally and I remember begging him to take me just because I wanted I just wanted to pick his brain. I just wanted to learn so much more about it. Um, so anyways, he eventually took me over there to meet him. And like, I remember walking in and I just, my eyes were probably the widest they had ever been. And it's funny to look back at it now and think about it because his buddy was definitely more interested in talking and catching up with my dad than he was to answer, you know, little me in high school, pestering him about all these questions. Um, but honestly, I was just really determined to just get to know it more, learn the art, learn the craft. Um, but so the way that it got started was I had asked him for a job and I don't know, like, I don't know if he took me seriously or if it was kind of comical because at the time, you know, it was like, even still nowadays, you don't hear very many women taxidermists. Like there's a lot more that now than there was seven years ago. So at the time it was like, I just, I just don't know if he took me seriously. And it's, and it's kind of funny to think about, but, um, you know, after begging every day, just showing up after school, you know, whether he wanted me or not, um, he eventually caved and offered me a part-time job. Um, but it, you know, it, it didn't start out easy, but I, I loved every bit of it. Honestly, they throw any of the, any of the grossest jobs that you could think of my way, like maggots on deer skulls, cleaning up blood off the floor after days of skinning, um, dumpster duty, <laughs> things like that. And, um, you know, I really, I really appreciate that because had I not dealt with that, like, I don't know if I really would have been not, not that I wouldn't have been into it, but you got to go through the hard stuff to appreciate, you know, learning it and getting the easy stuff later on. Um, so after that, I, uh, I did some research into taxidermy schools, taxidermy courses and stuff around the country. And uh, I had found a school out in Iowa that looked really, really good. I mean, I, I still keep in touch with my old teacher, whatever. He's definitely one of the mentors that, you know, helped me learn and, you know, made me into the taxidermist I am today. Um, so with the help of, you know, my parents at the time and saving my money from my part-time jobs that I had, whatever, I was able to go out there and uh, do that school. Um, while I was out there, I 
you know, learned the different techniques to mounting, preservation, things like that. I did be, I did deer, birds, small game, big game, tan my own hides. Um, but I really, really gravitated to the fish for whatever reason. I think it was, I think a lot of it was just because fish take a lot of, you know, painting to do, whether it's a skin mount or as a replica or whatever it is. Um, I really enjoyed the painting aspect of it. So I really, I really did gravitate to the fish. Um, after that, shortly after that, I came back to Michigan um, and I expressed to my boss at the time that, you know, I wanted, I wanted to start doing fish seriously. I wanted more responsibility. I wanted to take on more work. Like I was honestly ready to dive in head first. Um, you know, he was a little hesitant at first just because probably me being 18 year old overzealous, you know, he's a little hesitant at first, but eventually he handed the fish department over to me. Um, and honestly, from that moment on, I lived and breathed fish taxidermy, you know, like I'd wake up in the morning and that was all I thought about, like from looking at reference pictures to, you know, I, I'm going out catching fish just to take pictures of them and mount them, practicing with my airbrush, learning new ways of painting. Um, you know, as much information as I was learning and different things that I was getting, it was never enough. Like I always wanted to learn more. I always wanted to do more. Um, yeah. So then fast forward a few years later, here I am today. I opened up the fish studio a little over two years ago. Um, and yeah, that's where I'm at today. And your fish, like, can I just say they like, they look like they should still be breathing. Like your the artistic ability that you have built over this period of time, like you actually have this incredible eye for it because I've seen pictures of your mounts and then you look at like the reference photos and you're like, oh my gosh, you can't, in a photo with a good like background to them, you're not going to know the difference on some of these. You're like spectacular at what you do. And I don't know what, like if you're told that often, but your fish are pretty amazing. I think that what you have done is honestly what you were built to do. That's what you were made to do. Oh, that means so much to me that you say that honestly, because, you know, I think everybody that does something like some type of artwork, some type of craft, whatever, whatever it is that you set your mind to do, you know, you always like think in the back of your head, like I can be better, you know, and every day I'm constantly striving and pushing myself to be better. You know, I don't ever think you can master art necessarily and especially because whether whether you specialize in deer or birds or small game or fish or whatever it is you know whether you do one of it or all of it you know you're just like you can't replicate what God created and that is the hardest thing to come to terms with no matter how well a fish is painted or how well a deer is mounted you know you're always trying your best you're always striving for perfection and for me I mean I really appreciate you saying that because I do, I, I, you know, I'll sit there in the shop and I'll just stare at the fish and I'm like, man, how can I make this better tomorrow? You know, but honestly, like, I really, I, I agree with you on that. Like I am definitely doing what I'm made to do for sure. Yeah. Cause I couldn't imagine doing anything else. No, you, you definitely has found what your purpose was. And I have to commend you for that, especially at the age you're at and knowing in high school that this is where you wanted to be. And now to be at the age that you are, to have your own studio, to be as established as you are, like 
for our listeners out there, and especially our female listeners that are interested in following your passions and following your goals, Lexi, you are the epitome of that. Like you oh. found your passion, you you have that determination. And I think that's the biggest thing, right? Like women have to be determined. You can't just say, I want to do this and not put the work in. You have put that work in and you you did the dumpster duty and you cleaned the maggots off the skulls. And like <laughs> you, like you said, you have to do those things to appreciate the good. Um, and whether that's taxidermy or it's something else in the hunting profession, or even if it's just hunting, right? Like you're mm-hmm. always learning, you're always growing. And I think that's the biggest mindset people need to understand. It's okay to never be a quote unquote master, right? Like you are still a, a master in what you do based on the skill set that you provide. But in your head, if you let your head get too big and you're like, I'm the best there is there's no way I could make this better. That's when I feel that you stop growing. And I think that you have that that mentality of this could be better tomorrow. Now, do you ever have a project where you're like, I, I have this to where I want it, but maybe I feel like I should change something, but you start to get, do you ever get like frustrated to the point where you're like, I can't do anything else because I'm just going to end up screwing it up. Do you ever get that way? (laughs) Yeah. Every day, you know, I mean, there's fish that I do and I like, I'm in love with them. You know what I mean? And then I look at them a couple days later and I'm like, well, maybe I should add more color here. Maybe I should tweak this a bit, whatever. But I gotta, I've definitely had to learn um, to know when enough is enough, you know, like whether, whether I've done it to the best of my ability or it's 100% exact replicated, like the reference picture, like you definitely, you definitely have to know your limits. You know, and like I said before, you, you know, taxidermist, they're trying to do the impossible. Do you know what I mean? Because for us to try and recreate something that was already perfect is really challenging. So that was definitely something that humbled me, something that I for sure had to learn, especially early on in my career when I just started out learning this you know I mean of course when you just start out doing anything you're not going to be the best at it and there's definitely mounts that I have you know hanging up at my parents house that I like my first fish mount I ever did and you know a lot of things like that that I look back now you know seven years later and I'm like oh my goodness what was I thinking you know and at the time I thought like this is the best thing ever it looks amazing you know I'll never get better than this and it's it's funny it's so funny to look back on that now and just to see how much I've grown over the years and then knowing friends of mine who are also taxidermists to see them growing as well and it's just really cool you know to watch your own progression and to see how far you can take it and for me I'm just really excited to see where I'll be in another five years you know because I, I'm very involved with the Michigan Taxidermist Association. Shout out to them. Um, every year they do an annual competition and convention. Um, and now that that's a really, really cool organization and association that I am. I'm so blessed to be a part of. Um, you know, I'm thankful for every year. It's just, it's so fun being involved with such an awesome group of people, like-minded people, you know, artists and taxidermists that, you know, we're all just hanging out. It's we're just competing. We're all just trying to learn more and, you know, further our craft and our ability. And I mean, you know, I, I don't know where I would be if I hadn't discovered them because, 
you know, just as, you know, I'm learning from them, they're learning from me, they're learning from other people, we're all kind of just learning together, just so that we're all better as a taxidermist, you know what I mean? And so that was, that's a really, really cool association that I am super happy to be a part of. So what are some of the things that they do aside from that competition? Do you stay in contact with people throughout the year or have pages that you like forums to keep each other educated and learn from each other? Oh yeah. I've met, I mean, some of my best friends now today, I met at this, you know, in this association a few years ago, because I started competing about four years ago and I became a board member two years ago and during throughout the year, you know, there's membership meetings and stuff like that. And then there's things where we have, you know, seminar days where we show up at one location, you know, the membership or whoever wants to be involved during that day. And, um, you know, someone will be up there how to mount a deer or tips and tricks for grooming hides and how to further, you know, fish taxidermy or how to set wings for bird taxidermy. And it's like they do these little seminars throughout the year that caters to all avenues of taxidermy, you know, not just one thing over the other. Um, and so that's really cool. And yeah, definitely keeping touch with everybody throughout the year, you know, you'll get the messages or you'll get the phone calls. Hey, how's it going? Been working on anything cool lately? You know, here's a couple pictures of what I've been doing. And it's really, it's a really, really cool group to be a part of, for sure, especially for such a, a niche hobby and career like taxidermy is. Um, and there's, you know, in every state, they have their own state association. You know, Ohio has theirs, Illinois, Florida, Texas. Um, and then there's there's an association on a national level as well, and then a world's level. So, you know, there's a national taxidermy association where everybody in the country competes together and has their convention. And then the world has their own convention and competition as well. So, I mean, it's really just... Like, it's kind of like a brotherhood in a way or a sisterhood, you know, brother and sisterhood. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've met, I've met some of my bestest friends now today through that. That's great. Incredible. So it becomes like a family is the point of that is you become best friends with these people. They become a part of your life and your everyday, you know, getting around and learning from each other. Mm -hmm. Super awesome that they have that out there. I think a lot of people don't understand that, right? So they think like, oh, a taxidermist is just a taxidermist, but they're so like, I have a really good friend who's a taxidermist and I admire his work so much. And it's like, I get to go in the back end and see like what he's dealing with or these terrible like hides that are brought in that he has to salvage or, you know, whatever it may be. But I think that a lot of people just, they overlook how hard of work it is for you guys. Um mm -hmm. And I, the skill set behind it, like it is, you guys are real artists. Like there's no getting around it. It is an actual art of taxidermy that I just sometimes feel like you guys don't get the credit you deserve because like, I'm a person that my house is like a baby Cabela's, right? Like I mount everything. It's oh, yeah. more about, yeah, I'm the person that like, it's more about commemorating the hunt and I have a all like every single house in my room aside from I believe my bathroom and my kitchen my kitchen doesn't have one yet but my bathroom and my kitchen are the only two rooms in my entire house even my kids rooms like there's just mounts everywhere and it's because I look at it as an art form like I've had people that are like oh, I don't want dead stuff around my house and I'm like it's not even that though like it to me the fact that you have a, a good taxidermist that can make something look lifelike again 
it's just this whole new level of appreciation for it. And fish are, I don't have any fish in my house yet, um, but they are actually one of my favorite to see, especially when you get all the habitat and everything involved in it. Like it looks legit, like these fish are underwater and um, I don't know. I just, I, I value what you do. And I think that for our listeners who are tuning into this episode and are curious, they definitely need to come check out the fish studio because your work is, it speaks for itself. Um, you know, we can sit here and rave about it all we want, but when they go see these photos, they're really going to see it. And the fact that being a young woman with the drive and the passion that you have, I think is so inspiring. And we're going to jump to a short commercial break, but we're going to come back and talk about that inspiration just a little bit deeper. Share your love of the outdoors with your little ones through the exciting adventures in Dr. Josh Farr's children's books. As an avid sportsman, Dr. Josh Farr has taken his passion for the outdoors and uses his vivid storytelling to teach valuable lessons and appreciation of the world. Learn the alphabet through the ABCs of hunting. Find joy in exploring the outdoors with Let's Go Out and Play and more. You and your child will love learning about nature with Dr. Josh Farr. See all of his books now at drjoshfarr.com. That's D-R-J-O-S-H-F-A-R-R.com. Weeby Knives, a brand of skinning, fleshing, and butchering knives perfect for the hunters, trappers, and fishermen with a unique high-quality knife for animals of all shapes and sizes. You can find them and more information at WeebyKnives.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Stonehouse Digital Consulting, elevate your small business with Stonehouse's expert marketing solutions. Ignite your online presence and thrive with a tailored strategy to drive your growth. You can find them and more information at stonehousedigitalconsulting.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Livingston County Pheasants Forever, Chapter 465. With a mission to conserve pheasant, quail, and other wildlife through habitat improvements, public access, education, and conservation. You can contribute by joining the meetings on the first Thursday of every month at 7 p.m. at the Howell American Legion Hall on the corner of M59 and Grand River. For more information and to get involved, you can find them at pf465.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Dreamcatcher Charters, a Michigan-based guide service for walleye, sturgeon, and duck hunting with a passion that drives their success, sharing the phenomenal Michigan waterways with everyone. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram. Feather Moon Outdoors, offering calls made from select materials. Every pot is fine-tuned in the house using the highest quality materials available. Also offering diaphragm, slate, glass, grunt calls, and more. For more information, you can find them at feathermooneoutdoors.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Stay tuned, more podcasts to come. Welcome back. We are here speaking with Lexi Vaughn from the Fish Studio, and we were just diving into inspiration and that was one of the things, one of the points that I wanted to bring up with you is, do you have, with all, with just a, the power horse that you are in what you do, do you have anything inspirational that if there's girls listening that are interested, whether it's fish, whether it's, you know, deer or birds or whatever it is in taxidermy, do you have any inspiration for those women that want to pick up this skill, pick up this trade and like, where do they start? Honestly, I mean, it's going to maybe sound silly when I say it, but if you're interested in something, you just need to go for it, you know, especially, and I'm glad you brought this up because being a woman in a male dominated industry and even, even being into the outdoors, hunting and fishing and everything that comes with it, 
you know, having a hobby that's male dominated, it's really hard to find your footing and to make your way through it. You know, I've experienced my own challenges and stuff, um, you know, with it, you know, and, and, and I'm so, I'm so grateful for the organization and the group that you're, that you have and what you're doing for women. I think, I mean, I think it's brilliant. You know, if for me, I found your page and I'm just, you know, I, I'm like, oh my gosh, look at what they're doing. You know, they're going all over the country. They're going all over the world. Like there's, there's women out here that are just like me and they're doing it. And I just think that is the coolest thing. And so, you know, definitely have to give credit to my family, you know, growing up, they definitely instilled in me a very, if you want it, you need to go for it. Whatever you want in life, you need to work for it. And as long as you stick your mind to it, you'll get it. Um, so to go back to what I was saying earlier, when I when I wanted a job working at the local taxidermy shop and, you know, being brushed off, whatever, because I'm an 18 year old girl wanting to be in a man's world. Um, you know, I, I really don't think I would have gotten to where I am today if I hadn't stuck it out. You know, good days, bad days, you know, dealing with things that you don't really want to deal with, having hard days, you know, everything, everything that comes in it is is you really just have to have the, the determination to go through it to push through it to see the light at the end of the tunnel and to see the bigger picture like at the end of the day I want to be here so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there and I think that's very applicable to any any of your endeavors anything you want to do whether it's taxidermy related or whether it's outdoor related you know if you think to yourself and my dad always calls it his five-year plan if you like something, stick with it for five years. And at the end of five years, decide if you like it or not. And, you know, some people might be like, well, five years, I don't want to, I don't really want to put up with it that long. But, you know, I stuck with taxidermy for five years. And at the end of the five years, I, I opened up my business. So there is some truth to it. And I would say, so I would say to any woman out there or anybody at all who's listening to this, you know, if you, if you want to learn something, don't let what anyone has to say, don't let anyone else's opinion about it affect you. You know, don't let people tell you that well, you're a girl, you can't go out there and hunt or you're a girl like you're going to you're not going to fit in or anything like that, because that is just simply not true. Like, I mean, you're proving it. I'm proving it. There are hundreds of thousands of women around the world proving it every day that it's not a man's world and we can do just as much as you can. Um and, you know, I'm really blessed to have such a strong support system around me, friends and family, and even the customers that trust me with their trophies that, you know, continue to support me and push me to be better and push me to go farther with anything I want to do, whether it's outdoor related or taxidermy related. Yeah, uh, I think that you just hit something right on the nose with what your dad had told you of the five years. If you can't, if you want to do something bad enough, and if you aren't willing to devote five years to it, if it's not something you want to do for the rest of your life, then it's probably not the avenue to go down. Um, but if you see something and you're like, man, I want to do this, but I don't, I don't know if I want to give it five years. That is like a solid sound piece of advice, because if you have to think about it, it's probably not the avenue for you. Right. But you, in your situation, you're like, I don't care. I'm doing this. Like, this is what I want. And now you found this career path that you get to do what you love every single day. And people, you know, you, you always hear the people of, you know, 
find what you love doing. And it, it's no longer just a job that you're going to every day. Like you have found your passion, you love what you do. And I just, I really think that it's a commendable thing because a lot of people will fall into society. We fall into line of this is, this is kind of the steps we have to take to provide for our families or provide for ourselves. But at the end of the day, especially these women that are young that, and not to say that you can't change paths if you have kids or anything like that, but these women who are young, who maybe are single or, you know, don't have kids yet, follow those dreams. Like as a woman that's, you know, creeping up to 40 quickly, I have to say, there are plenty of things that I look at these young women and I'm like, man, the drive and the passion. And I had it at one point in time, mine was in the automotive industry and I completely went a different route, but Mm -hmm. like to stick to your guns and stay with what you love and turn that into a career and follow it, whether it's a trip or, you know, traveling to a school in Iowa to go do taxidermy or, I don't know, just take the trip, do it and follow that passion, follow that dream. Don't conform to society. If you really want something, make it happen. And that's the, that's the biggest key to all of this is you have to have the drive. You have to stick it out through those bad days. As you said, if you're not willing to push through those bad days, you're never going to appreciate the good ones. And, And that's just my perspective. Like you have to feel the, the suffering to enjoy. I don't know how to even say that. To enjoy, to enjoy the, the yeah, you know, like the you fruits of your labor, right? Yeah, and you can't you can't just have good days every day. You know, you need the bad days to appreciate the good days, and I think I think that's very applicable to any career or hobby that you choose, especially you know, especially hunting related. You know, like how many times have you sat in the woods? Me, me, me personally, I'll relate it to my life. Is how many times have I sat in the woods and haven't seen? a single animal move, you know, and how many times I think to myself, man, I can't wait to get back here out here tomorrow and do the exact same thing. And then finally, you know, for me myself, like I, I finally shot my first, my first year this year with a bow. Um, and for me, it was like, like all of those late hunts, all of the early mornings, hours in the woods, learning, Learning, doing it, you know, practicing with my bow in the backyard, doing all of those things and and all of the frustrating sits that I had at the end of the day, it was all worth it because, you know, I everything lined up perfectly and I made it happen. You know what I mean? So I think that's very applicable to to any of your, you know, any endeavor that you take on in life, career wise, hobby wise, really anything. Yeah. And it's, it's just a matter of just getting out and doing it. If that's what you want to do, do it. Don't let anybody hold you back. Don't let anybody else drive your car, right? Like steer your own car. I, I just did a big post um, in January about, uh, you know, these women stifling other women and putting each other down over silly things. We're, we're all in the outdoors community together. And when people learn that we glow brighter together, that we're going to succeed. And not to go off on a tangent about that, but it's in every aspect of everything. Just support one another, find a good support system. Those people that are in your life that aren't supporting you. I've always had that, this mentality of if you're not contributing to my happiness, you're hindering it, right? That's Mm -hmm. one thing that I think a lot of people, we surround ourselves, especially in the outdoor community, because there's people that are avid elk hunters, but they put down a 
somebody that's holding a trout the wrong way, or they're, they're against predator or trapping, or, you know, even just bird hunters, that one seems to really bash one another about, you know, the piles or, you know, how you're holding your birds and your photos. And we just need to get to a point in the outdoor community that we're just supporting each other. And if you don't have that support from the people, they're not worth your being in your circle because they're hindering your happiness. And that applies if you want to follow your dreams, you need people that are supportive of those dreams. So if it is, if one of our listeners is hearing this and they're like, man, I just really want to do this. Bond with those people who are like, yes, go do this because those are the people that you need. That is the support system you need. Now it's okay to be a realist and somebody to be like, well, make sure you think it through first. It's not necessarily them putting you down, but making sure that you're weighing out all your options before you make a, a big jump or a career change or something like that. It's it's smart. Um, but if you people are like, oh, there's no way you could do this or, oh, you're a girl, you can't do that. Kick those people out of your life because it does. they don't need to be there. And like following the path that you want and what you're willing to write in your own book is what everybody needs to be doing in their life. And it's just a successful, it's steps to a successful happiness, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And like I said, and I've said it, you know, a couple times already, but honestly, huge shout out to both my parents and especially my mom, you know, because I I am the oldest sibling in my family. There's me and my younger brother. And, you know, of course she wants to have her shopping days and she wants to, you know, let's go get our nails done and let's go do this and let's go do that. And I love doing that with her. I absolutely do. I cannot tell you how many times I'm like, mom, I can't go to TJ Maxx today. I I'm going to goose hunt in the morning. You know what I mean? No matter how many times I've, I've, I've bailed on, you know, doing the girly things, I guess you could say, you know, she's always supported me. She's always like, go out there, have fun, whatever. You know, she's like, I don't really want to see the pictures, but I know you're out there living your best life, whatever. And then, and then my dad too, you know, to, to accept me for me, you know, I, I think that him and I have a special bond in a sense that, you know, kind of in a way, I feel like he looks at me like a son, but he treats me like a daughter. You know, because yeah. just to go out there and do everything that he's doing and do it right, right alongside with him is really, really cool. And so I have a really cool relationship and a really awesome relationship with both of my parents. They're both very supportive of everything and anything that I do. And, you know, I've never, I've never, like you said, you know, just cut out the negativity in your life. And as of right now, like in my life, the circle that I have and the circle that I keep, everyone is very encouraging. And I, I, for one, appreciate that immensely because I know that if I, it, and it sucks to constantly be cut down, you know, to always be looked at negatively, like, oh my gosh, you're so weird for doing this. Or that's not, you know, that's not very ladylike is my favorite one, but <laughs> do what you like, do what you love, you know, love what you do. And you know, who cares? Who cares what anybody else has to say? You don't need that negativity. Just just make yourself happy. As long as you're not hurting yourself or hurting anyone around you, who cares? Yeah, I always, I tell people all the time, because uh, I get the, it's not very ladylike for you to do that. And mm-hmm. I always laugh and I say, you know, you can, your opinion can be contributed when you start paying my bills. Yeah, period. Like, <laughs> end of story. I'm the, I am the sole provider in my household. So until then, no one else's opinion matters. Um, 
And I, I just think it's important for people to have that mentality and understand like, it's okay to beat your own drum. Like it is okay to stride away from what everyone else is doing and become the apex predator to your life, right? You don't have to fall in line to be a sheep with everybody else. Be you, be unforgivably you at all times. Like it's okay to be weird. It's okay to be funny. It's okay to follow your dreams, no matter how off the wall it sounds. And look at you. You are the the prime example of the, it's not cookie cutter, right? Like a woman in her early 20s to be a professional fish taxidermist. You don't see that. And I think that's so inspiring for these women, especially these young girls who are trying to find where they belong and love the outdoors in such a manner that if it's photography or if it's taxidermy or if it's just whatever that it is that you want to do, go do it because it's probably the right place for you. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And I, I absolutely love the trend that's going around right now, you know, like be the main character because I, I feel like that's such a good mindset for people to follow is, and like you were saying, like, go out there, be yourself, do your own thing. You know, don't worry about what other people are saying behind your back. You know, you're not looking at them anyways. And for me, you know, like I, you know, I want to look at myself in the mirror and be proud of the person that I am today. Every day I wake up and think what I, what I can do to be better than yesterday, you know, and, you know, I'm just, I'm totally happy where I am in life and I'm constantly striving to do more and it'd be better. And yeah, I just, you know, obviously credit to my family, my friends, my customers, my support system, my everything, you know, like I would not be where I am today without them. Um, you know, and I'm just, I'm blessed to have that determination and that independence to not fall, you know, to be the cookie cutter, you know, like that everyone expects you to be. Um, so yeah. I love it. It's funny you say that. That's one of the things I say to my kids, if they ever have a hard day, I'm like, listen, I don't expect you to be perfect, but I expect you to try to be better than who you were yesterday. Mm -hmm. End of the day, that is what our society needs to hear is it's okay not to be perfect. Every day is not going to be perfect. It's okay to have hard days, but if we're striving every day to be better than who we were yesterday, and I say we, because you can't focus on what someone else is doing either, right? Like you have to be competing with yourself and only yourself. And I think that's another thing that relates in the outdoor world and the taxidermy world is you can only compete with yourself. At the end of the day, you can, you can do competitions with other people, but as long as you're competing with yourself of who you were yesterday and like you, okay. So what was your, what was the very first fish that you ever mounted? Oh, it was, (laughs) it was, it was a perch. Um, I kind of did, I kind of did multiples all at once. I I did a perch, I did a crappie, I did a walleye and I did a white bass. Those were the, the, those were the very first four fish that I ever did. Um, (laughs) I, I don't know. I don't know that I'll ever really share pictures of those maybe. Um, and like I had said earlier, I, I remember looking at those fish and just thinking, wow, it doesn't get much better than this, you know? And, and, and I, I, I will not get rid of them. I will always have them. They're sitting in my dad's, you know, wood shop down in the basement, kind of as decoration to, you know, pay homage to who I was seven years ago, whatever. But it's, you know, it's good for a laugh. It's good to look back and reflect. 
and everything that I've learned and where what I've accomplished and where I am today. But yeah, there there's some good ones for sure. <laughs> well, and my the reason why I asked that is how many. So if your first one was say a perch, how many perch have you done since then? Like a ton, right? I oh man, well I do I do about two hundred fish a year, roughly. Some years I do more. I mean, there was, there was a banner year that I did probably closer to 400 fish. And that was, that was quite a few years ago. So, but if I had to think about it and break down the numbers, you know, doing 200 fish a year at, you know, seven years of that number, breaking it down by species, I've probably done a couple hundred perch, to be honest. So you go from that very first perch that you've ever done to the very last perch you've done. And like the comparison there of growth, that is what drives you, right? Like not even of who you were yesterday, but who you were seven years ago compared to what you're doing now, that quality that you're putting out, what you've learned. And like, I'm sure it's not like an awful fish, right? It probably still looks decent, right? No, but yeah, go ahead. No, but yeah. Okay. You can, you can tell that it's a fish though, right? And you can yeah. tell that that's where your heart was. But now you've gotten to the point where the fish that you're doing now look like they should be breathing and blowing some bubbles. And it's just, it's cool to me to for that, even if it's not something you share with the public, the fact that you hang on to something like that and look back at it shows the growth that within yourself that you're competing within yourself. You're not comparing your fish pictures to someone else's fish pictures. You're this is what I do. And this is where I'm growing. And this is what I learned from the last one that I'm going to put into the next one. So I don't know, I just for me, it's just one of those things that I think that it's important to always remember where your roots came from and learn that you're growing from yourself. Um, with all that being said, what is your favorite fish to mount? Oh, my favorite? I really love perch. I really do. I really do like perch. I like I like perch. I like bluegills. Um, I really like doing bass. Um, I would say those are probably my top three favorite. And, you know, I get that question all the time. I always get people ask me, what's your favorite fish to do? And what's your least favorite fish to do? Um, you know, there's, there's obviously fish out there that are definitely more technical than others. You know, every fish that I do is different. Um, I could have, I could have 20 perch laying in front of me and yeah, they're all probably going to have the same color, similar colors and some similar characteristics, but every fish is going to be different. And that's one thing that I've learned throughout the years is, I mean, I'll never look at a fish the same way again, whether I catch it or someone brings it to me or whatever. I just, you know, I, I, I pull up a fish, you know, I'm reeling one in whatever. And I look at it and I'm just staring at this fish and I'm like, I need to take pictures of this. Cause this thing is gorgeous. Like I will never just look at a fish as a fish ever again. I always look at Oh, look at the blues over here and the yellows and the iridescence and this and that, whatever. Um, but yeah, so that that's a really cool thing and something that it's it's almost opened up my artistic eye to seeing something more than what it is at face value. You know, like there's so much more in these animals and in the specimens that you work on that you wouldn't notice if you don't look at it a hundred times a day, every day for years. Right. Well, and I had assumed that some sort of sunfish was going to be your favorite since that's in your logo. Um, so I don't know if that played part in choosing your logo as your favorite species to mount. 
So in the logo, a couple different things went into it. One, I think a bluegill, honestly, looking at all the fish, you know, a bluegill is a very easily recognizable fish. You know, everywhere in the country that you go, if you show someone a picture of a bluegill, they're going to see it. You know, and the thing, the reason I chose a bluegill too is a lot of people's first fish that they ever caught was a little five-inch bluegill off grandpa's dock, you know, when they were five years old. And so to me, it's a very, it's a very warm feeling that you get when you think of bluegill and bluegill fishing, you know, it's, it's a classic type of fish. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I, cause it going into designing the logo too, I wanted something simple, something very straightforward. I wasn't going for flashy. I wasn't going for elaborate. I wasn't going to slap on a species that nobody knows anything about. I just, I just wanted to go for that feeling of, of comfort. Like it's a very comfort fish, I think for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think it is a very iconic fish. It is something that everyone recognizes, no matter if you're in the, like deep into fishing or first time fishing, you know what a bluegill is, right? Mm -hmm. Or you know at least the panfish silhouette. So with your favorite fish and talking about that, what is your least favorite? Oh, I don't know if I want to say it because now no one's going to bring me. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, that's hard. You know, because I, I should reword that because I really don't know if I have a least favorite fish. I have my favorite fish, of course, and I have fish that I don't, not that I don't care to work on, but they're really difficult to paint just because of the technicality of it. You know, like certain cold water fish that you get that have very iridescent scales, you know, like you'll take, like you'll see an Atlantic salmon, like one caught in the spring or summertime. And that thing is a rainbow. Every scale has five different colors on it. And so not that it's not enjoyable to do, it just takes a very technical level you know, like a very technical skill level to accomplish things like that. And, you know, even today I, I tried out a new painting technique, like every day I try new things and I don't, you know, I don't shy away from it. Cause even if you don't like how it looks, just start over, you know? So, so it really just depends on the fish too. And I'm not going to go into it cause I can talk for hours just about this subject, but different fish caught at different times of the year. Cause you know, there's, you know, certain fish, you know, salmon, for example, they change, you know, with their morphology, they change throughout the years, you know, a salmon caught on the big lake during the summer is going to look way different than a late October salmon that you caught in the river, you know, so just depends on the fish as well, what time of year, what their phase of life is at the time, what they're going through also determines, you know, the the level of skill that goes into painting it, I guess, if you want to say, or how much time you have to put into it. Um, it really just depends on the species, honestly, because they're all different. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. I can see that a lot of people don't understand that, right? Like the fish are going to change color based on their habitat, based at the time of the season. Um, it's just, it's very intriguing to me, the, the diversity behind all of it. And I, it's just pretty neat to me that to me, fish are one of the ones that like, you really have a lot of play in it, right? Like you get a deer and it's got a hide and you can, you can mess with the nose and sculpting around the eyes and, and you can play with the colors a little bit, but for the most part, that animal is made up for you. So fish are the ones that you get the full artistic control of in like a bird, you're getting the hide of that bird you're going to try to represent that bird as best as possible or that deer best as possible. But at the end of the day, 
what that actual animal is, is what you're, you're mounting. So it's yeah. a little bit easier. We're like fish. It's just, you have to make all of that. And even if it's a skin mount, because you're still going to have to paint that. Um, even if you're doing these replicas or anything like that, you are starting really from scratch and your artistic eye is what has to create that. So I think it's really neat. Um, we're going to jump to a, another commercial break and hear from our sponsors, but we're going to come back and we're going to talk to Lexi about some tips and tricks of taxidermy and how to get your animals preserved properly for a taxidermist and how to store and keep everything. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. And now to the final segment to this week's episode of Women of the Wild podcast. We will conclude this segment by thanking our closing sponsors. Stay tuned for more of this week's episode after this short word from our sponsors. Muzzy Pheasant Farms, a mid-Michigan family-owned and operated pheasant game preserve that is open year-round. Muzzy offers educational courses and hunts. They are family-oriented, creating a great opportunity for new and seasoned upland hunters. With no membership required, come hunt with Muzzy Pheasant Farms. You can find more information at muzzypheasantfarms.com or check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Blast and Cast Guide Service is a veteran-owned and operated Michigan-based guide service for the Great Lakes. With decades of experience of fishing and waterfowl, they ensure a safe and enjoyable trip every time. You can check them out at blastandcastguideservice.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Ultimate Veteran Adventures. UVA offers outdoor therapy, recreation, and camaraderie through hunting and fishing adventures around the country for veterans, active duty military, Gold Star families, and first responders. You can find them at ultimateveteranadventures.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Sawmill Creek Bait and Lures, a husband and wife owned and operated company, the home of the C4, one of the best trapping canine lures on the market. You can find them at sawmillcreekbaitandlures.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Wicked 7 Outdoors, a Southwest Texas outfitter guide service with an exceptional care and quality of backcountry mountain hunts for free range audad. Also offering high fence and low fence exotics, come immerse yourself in the outdoor experience. You can find Wicked 7 Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. Misguided Outdoors is a female-driven Michigan-based guide service offering turkey and waterfowl hunts. Misguided is focused on educating women and youth, providing a hands-on hunt experience for all ages. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. We thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Welcome back. So we are here for the final segment with Lexi with the Fish Studio, and you have been an absolute pleasure to speak with. And I think that one of the things that I would love to dive in with you is these people that catch a fish that want to get it mounted or want to bring it to you. What are some of the tips that you're going to tell someone of, unless they're doing a skin mount, but if somebody wants a replica, what are the measurements? What are the photos that you need as a taxidermist to be able to replicate that fish to the best of your capabilities? Like what, what is ideal that you want clients to bring to you? So I'm really glad that you asked this question and I'm going to go in and explain a little bit both skin mounts and replicas, the differences, the pros and the cons and how to how to go about the process for both ways. So we'll start with the replicas for replicas, for example, you know, if you're out there and you're musky fishing and you don't want to, you know take a 50 inch muskie's life for no reason other than they get it mounted. You know, if you're into the catch and release, or even if you catch a fish and you'd rather fillet it, then put it on your wall or whatever the case may be. So for a replica, you really have three measurements. You have length, which is measured from the tip of the nose, pinch the tail, 
measure it. You know, that's the total length. Um, measure the girth, which is usually it's the fattest point of the fish. And that varies from fish to fish, but generally the fattest point of the fish. Um, and then the weight too, you know, it's really important to get a good weight within the first few hours of catching that fish because the body on it is going to change a lot. Um, what I see a lot of, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's scientific, you know, if you catch, we'll use a perch, for example, if you catch a 14 inch perch and it has a 10 inch girth, you know, it's going to weigh this much. You know, but if you bring it into me days later after it being in the freezer or not being in the freezer and I put a tape measure on that fish, that fish is going to be a little bit longer and it's going to weigh probably half of what it did because they lose a lot of water weight. And what happens is their spine relaxes and all their muscles relax. So they will grow in length. Um, so as long as, you know, right after you you catch the fish, whether you're going to keep it or release it, you know, try and get those measurements right away. Um it's actually not uncommon at all for people to reach out to me and say, hey, I was really concerned about getting this fish back in the water. I didn't want to keep it in the boat for too long, or I didn't want to keep it out of the water for too long. I didn't get any measurements on it. And that is totally okay, too. Or for people to say, hey, I only got the length on it. Um, I've seen enough fish in my life that I'm pretty good at gauging anymore nowadays, you know, but even the off chance that you didn't get a single measurement on it. A lot of times I'll tell people, you know, depending on how they're holding it in the photo, hey, measure the width of your palm. Hey, measure your shoulder to shoulder. We'll try and gauge it that way. You know, how heavy did it feel? What did it feel like? You know, was it as heavy as, you know, a brick? Was it as heavy as, you know, things like that? You know, we can kind of gauge and go from there. Um, but so whether you get whether you get all three measurements or one measurement or no measurements, you know, it's it's really easy to find the right replica anymore nowadays. You know, I feel like there's a big stigma around replicas. You know, if you would have asked this question 10 years ago, most people would get skin mounts because replicas weren't either readily available or they didn't look as nice. But the way that taxidermy has advanced so much today that, I mean, it's really no issue. And I tell people this every day, all day when I talk to them, it's no issue finding the right shape, size, variation of your species whatsoever, whether they're my own personal molds or I have to outsource and look for another mold, you know, that somebody has, whatever, it's not an issue. As far as skin mounts go, um, you know, obviously if you bring me the fish, I'm gonna use it. Um, really, so the difference between them, well, here, I'll start by saying this. If you're gonna bring me a, a fish to get mounted and have a skin mount done, um, if you're gonna bring, if you catch it and you're gonna bring it to me within a few days, just keep it cold on ice, wrap it in a damp towel to keep the moisture in, to keep them damp, just so that they don't start to dry out in any way. Um, if you know you're not going to make it to me for another couple weeks, again, wrap it in a damp towel, wrap it up in a plastic bag or something like that, and just stick it in your freezer. It'll be absolutely fine. So the difference between skin mounts and replicas is really any more, and it, and, and it totally depends on the species. Most warm water fish, you know, your perch, your bass, your walleye, bluegills, things like that. They're really, they're totally fine to do skin mounts on. They're not greasy usually. They're not super oily. They have good scale structure. They have good bone structure. They're totally fine to do skin mounts on. 
Cold water fish, on the other hand, you have to look out for a little bit more. You know, your trout and your salmon, they tend to be a little bit oilier. They tend to be a little bit greasier. They don't have the best bone structure in their heads. So usually if I do a skin mount on a cold water fish, I end up replacing the head with a replica head anyways. Because definitely over time, I have definitely do enough repair jobs and repaints on 30-year-old salmon to know that it will keep shrinking and it will keep leaking grease. So I usually, I usually recommend and tell people that ask me that if you're going out salmon fishing or trout fishing, your best bet is a replica. Now, in my personal professional opinion, I think replicas are better in general because you don't really, you know, I like to tell people no matter how good a skin is preserved, degreased, you know, mounted, whatever the case may be, at the end of the day, it's still skin. Um, you might not see the effects of it in two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, you know, but eventually over that time, that skin will want to start leaking oils of some sort or whatever. So the best way to avoid that, and the thing that I find as far as longevity and durability goes, that replicas, you really can't beat it, honestly. Now, I do still offer skin mounts because I do have a percentage of my clientele base that prefers traditional taxidermy. You know, they've always had skin mounts done. That's what they know. That's what they love. So that's why I still offer it. You know, I'm totally 100% capable and, you know, I don't mind doing them at all. Um, but, you know, replicas today nowadays have advanced enough that, you know, I could put two fish side by side and tell you, pick out which one's the real fish and pick out which one's the not. And I, I can almost guarantee you nine times out of 10, you won't be able to tell. Yeah. And like my personal preference, especially with all the, the taxidermy work that I've done um, locally with, with people is, right. I shouldn't say that I've done, but that I've learned from is the mm -hmm. replicas. It's a great way to put that fish back in the waterway, right? Like you catch a smallie, you're not, why not put them back for someone else to catch? So the catch and release, I love that aspect of the replicas that we've gotten to the technology that they can be that good. Mm -hmm. You have a sturgeon, right? Like you have a muskie, you have a, a pike, a bass, whatever it may be. If you're not keeping it to consume it, which if you're going to consume it, you're not going to be able to keep it for the skin mount because then you're mm -hmm. going to be filleting the fish. So to me, I just always have felt that replicas are the better way to go, especially with how advanced we are in technology. But it's also giving those anglers the option to put that smallmouth bass back instead of doing the skin mount. But if somebody is a skin mount collector, completely understand with keeping to that. Now, like with, with smallmouth bass, um, I have noticed it a lot is the coloration of change based on like, so you catch that fish. You want to get those photos like right away, because once you put them in the live well, that color is going to start changing over time. Do you 100%. ever have, yeah. So is that fair to say, like, are you better off that like the quicker you can get those photos, the quicker you can get those measurements. And if you're not going to keep the fish, like put it back as soon as possible. If you're in a competition, obviously you don't have that ability because you got to go get it weighed and everything. But if you plan on, you catch a seven pound smallmouth bass, right. And you want to get it mounted. They're going to measure the length, the girth, and they're going to get the measurement, the weight on it, and then mm -hmm. take photos as quickly as possible. Are there certain photos you, you want, or is just a single photo typically enough? Or if somebody wants a spectacular job, are there photos in depth that they can take a little bit, a little bit better to make your job easier? You know, I'm 
I'm going to do the best job that I can possible, whether you take one photo and it's the worst photo you've ever taken in your life, or whether it's a hundred pictures of every single scale on the body, you know, um, I would say that a hundred percent, you should absolutely take that picture before you release it, like right after you first catch it. Cause that's when the colors are going to be the most vibrant. That's when the colors are going to be the most true. Um, Usually I tell people, I tell people this all the time, whether you take 110 or 100 pictures, take them all, send them all to me. I will use all of them in reference, um, you know, but I do understand there are times where you can only take, you know, one or two quick snaps and then you got to get the fish back in the water or, you know, get on with whatever it is that you were doing. Um, but I would say the best photos to take definitely are one of the whole fish laying down or if you can't lay the fish down on a bump board or on your boat or whatever and you have to hold the fish try not to crowd around the tail and try not to cover up the face because a lot of times fishermen you know I even do it myself and that's kind of what you do when you catch fish you know you're holding the fish out with both hands you're going to take a picture and I notice especially guys because they tend to have bigger hands than you know women do um you know their hand that's holding the head will cover the face and the hand that's covered or that's grabbing onto, you know, the tail will cover the tail. So pictures like that are a little difficult sometimes because then it's like I have to almost guess as to what I think the tail color would be based on the color of the fish. And I have to guess the pattern or the color of the face, again, depending on the color and the pattern of the body. Um, so I would say if you're going to if you're going to hold a fish like that, you know, hold your fingers down. Just for, even for a quick second, take a couple snaps and then you can go back to holding it normally, whether to release it or, you know, take more pictures or whatever. Um, but definitely try not to cover anything up when it comes to taking pictures. And I know that it's it's absolutely not at the forefront of anybody's mind when they caught a fish. You know, you catch a fish that, you know, is going on the wall. That's the last thing you think about. All you're thinking about is how you can get this thing measured how you can get as many pictures as you can you know you don't actually think about the quality of the picture or what you're taking you know what I mean um and I do want to mention something real quick that I think is really important is I will never ever judge somebody or make anybody feel bad any angler feel bad for catching a fish and bringing it to me knowing they want a replica and I just want to preface that and you know because like I'll talk about it and say like you know why would you kill a 50 inch muskie if you're not even going to get a skin mount done? But you know what, if you, if you do choose to do that and bring that to me, I, most of the fish that people bring me that they have caught, that they're getting a replica done, whether I cast it or not, um, I do save those fish and use them for later projects just because I don't want them to go to waste, but I will never make somebody feel bad or hold it against them if they choose to keep a fish you know, that they're going to get a replica done. And I just think it's important that people know that, um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. How they want to do it is, is what your job is, is to make sure that that client is happy. I know that there are taxidermists out there that they stray away from doing skin mounts for mm -hmm. that reason. But I think it, I think that's a very good point is it doesn't, it's really dependent on what you want and how you want it done. So I just, I'm really excited to see more of your work. We actually, when this airs, we have a women's steelhead fishing trip coming up. And for the ladies that are interested in getting those steelhead done, I would love for them to get in contact with you because we actually have two um, back to, we have one at the beginning of March and one at the end of March. And um, I'm steelhead are one of my favorite fish to catch. They're just so much fun. They're so, favorite fish. 
So <laughs> they're what? They're one of my favorite fish to paint. I love them. I love steelhead. I love steelhead and browns. Of the cold water fish, those got to be my two favorite. They're they're just stunning, spectacular fish. And like I know for sure, like if I end up getting on that trip, my fish is coming to you because I would love to just have a piece of your work in my house. But for the ladies that are listening that are interested, we do have those steelhead fishing trips coming up in Michigan. And Lexi, you're in Michigan. So what better way to contribute is by supporting another female who's doing something like this. And we do fishing trips year round. Um, So I just, I think that it's really great for our listeners to have the contact of the fish studio and with you, because you're an incredible person. You're so inspirational and you have your head on right, which I think is awesome because you don't get to see that a lot. A lot of people, they get real concerned with social media or you know, daily life just takes over and we all, we all have our struggles and our battles, but I think supporting other women who have a passion, who have a drive is so important because that's, what's going to help the longevity of your business and to keep going and growing your passion further is the support. And I love when women support other women. So I'm really thankful that you came on for this episode for this week. And I just, I can't wait to see more of your work. And I hope that we're able to bring some fish to you throughout the year. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And I just want to go ahead and say that I appreciate it so much. You having me on here, Um, you know, being able to talk about my life and what I do and, you know, helping you and being there for you to, you know, with what you're doing with women of the wild. I think I just want to say, like I said earlier, I think it's an amazing organization. And I think what you're doing for women out there who truly care and want to be part of the outdoor world I, I just think it's amazing. And I think it's a perfect and like outlet for women to feel safe and to be themselves, to be a part of something and actually feel like they belong, I think is so incredible and so amazing. Cause like, you know, like I've touched on is it's hard to feel like what you're doing. Like it's hard to feel out of place, you know, like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't be here. You know, maybe I should be doing something else, but honestly do what you love, love what you do. And I, I'm, I'm honored that you invited me on here because, you know, I think women being out here doing their thing, just, you know, trailblazing a path for other women is just so important just to show them, you know, hey, it's okay to be different. It's okay to not, you know, live by, you know, society standards of how women quote unquote should act or should do, you know? And so I just, I just really think that's amazing. And I really appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Yeah. We're not barefoot in the kitchen anymore. Yeah, no, <laughs> not like <laughs> backstraps from a deer I shot. <laughs> That's right. Well, Lexi, it was wonderful to speak with you. Um, for our listeners, please get in contact with the fish studio if you have fish that you want to get mounted or if you have questions, please reach out because Lexi is going to be more than happy to answer those questions and make sure that you're being able to preserve and put that trophy or that dream up on that wall or commemorate a memory. To me, that's what taxidermy is really about is commemorating that memory of what you're out there doing. So make sure you get in contact with her. Uh, make sure you're following us on Women of the Wild. We have a ton of trips coming up. We have our steelhead trips. We have pheasant trips. We have South Africa again, and we are all over the place. We have some shark fishing coming up. We have some duck hunts and some goose hunts. And we have a lot of educational programs and online courses. So make sure you're checking out the website at womenofthewild.net. We have our calendars that went out this year that were spectacular. So we're going to be running the new calendar contest for the 2025 calendars. We also have the Wild Game Cookbook, which is women from all around the country sharing their wonderful recipes with other great women 
and anything from fish to small game to poultry to bear, elk, moose, you name it. Um, so make sure you check that out. We'll also be taking new submissions for the, the meal preps and the cookbook submissions for the 2025 year. And really excited to see where the rest of 2024 takes Lexi, where it takes Women of the Wild. And we look forward to having you on an event with us. So thank you, Lexi, for joining us. And until next time, we hope to see you on an event. Yeah, thank you.